0: How are transfer agency professionals within the global asset management industry preparing for the post crisis recovery period? How has the COVID 19 crisis impacted the future of the TA? Get insights on best practices for enhancing the immunity of the transfer agency in the event of another crisis on this episode of Nixa Talk. You are listening to Nixa Talk, a show aimed at providing building blocks for best practice implementation executives in the global asset management industry. More content for your on-the-go, easy listening can be found at Nixa.org. I'm Alison Lovett, your Nixa host. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get right to the program where our moderator, Jeff Young, Enterprise Strategist of Asset Management Solutions at FIS, talks with Kim Zavislak, partner at KPMG, Kathy Stelter, VP and Chief Operations Officer at Thrivent Funds, and Fred Nadoff, lead independent trustee on the Symmetry Panoramic Funds Board of Trustees.
1: We thought it would be interesting to get three different perspectives on all this. A fund manager with in-house operations, as represented by Kathy, a fund board member uh, with industry experience uh, through Fred, and then a fund auditor with Kim. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. So, you know, to the panelists, when it became apparent COVID-19 would pose a serious threat to the U.S., what did you and your respective firms do to address that? And let's, let's start with Kathy on that one.
2: Thanks, Jeff. You know, what, I think that, you know, our firm, as well as many others, probably started by looking at our business continuity plans. Those are things that we, we all work on every day or all year long. We do um regular testing on our plans, and we know that there's a lot of factors that come into play. One of the things I think was most interesting for us is that um, those plans always included that a portion of our staff would relocate to a recovery facility, a facility that we've tested that was equipped to help us complete our work. We did, We've always done a lot of work around that, right? We never really anticipated a scenario where we said to our staff, go home, and work from home, and it could be for a really long time. So, um, you know, I think in our shop, our corporate BCP office had instituted some company-wide plans to prepare and do more testing, and my team in particular immediately created a schedule to rotate our staff through a few days of working from home. So go home, connect, try it out. Let's make sure that you've got the connectivity, the technology, that our processes all work like this, and then... Um, what was really surprising is that we were only partway through that process. We thought we were getting ahead of it, and um, before we had enough time to rotate all of our staff, we actually had to invoke our plan. So we had some team members who hadn't even been able to try it, but they were told, go home and start the new normal. So,
1: Excellent. Yeah, I think that whole idea of everybody's plans being go to another site rang true across the industry. Uh, and, and certainly the idea of everybody going home uh, and staying home has been novel, but I, my observation just industry-wide is we've we've actually um, responded well to that. You know, Kim, from the perspective of kind of a large firm like KPMG, I mean, what was your experience in this kind of transition?
3: Yeah, our highest priority was to take the actions to make sure our employees were safe. We have a lot of employees that are traveling a lot, um, including myself. I was traveling right before all of this um, happened. So it it did change very quickly over that weekend. Um, But we did as a firm pull together and do what we thought was necessary to stop the spread. So we shut down about um, mid-March. And thankfully we do have the IT infrastructure in place given the way we normally deliver services that we, we certainly were not anywhere close to the extent of working from home that we are now, um, but we did have a lot of those um, measures in place. Um, we also turned our focus quickly to our clients. Um, it did hit in the midst of our busiest time of the year. So we had to make sure that we were able to deliver um, on all of those regulatory deadlines. So opening that communication line with our clients and understanding how they were um, adjusting to the work from home environment. So I would say one thing, we, we did have a lot of video conferencing capabilities already in place, but we did expand those pretty quickly early on as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then Fred, I guess from the perspective of a board member, did your advisor to your funds gonna kind of reach out to you and say, this is what we're doing in terms of you know, continuity of business or how did, how did that work?
4: Uh, you there definitely was a lot of communication at the at the both the beginning and all the way through, um, even to this day. But you know, due due to the nature of our product and more specifically our distribution channel, you know, as it regards to transfer agency, we don't have many direct shareholders. So from that perspective, the pandemic had less of an effect on our business than some others in the industry. But that said, you know, the trustees still had some concerns for management. And we could probably break those down into two buckets, right? The first, from an oversight perspective, and, you know, this was from, you know, if you think about it from a board perspective, this was for for all our service providers, you know, not only transfer agency, but fund accounting and custody admin, but, you know, sub-advisors, auditors, counsel, all, all of them. But we wanted to know how they were deploying their human and technological capital, to service, the funds in this environment and did that jive with the contractual arrangements they had with us? So, you know, we had to jump over that hurdle first, and pretty much I think most of our service providers did that. The second bucket had to do more with the drastic effect the market conditions were having on the funds. So, you know, are the wild swings in the market affecting things like uh, liquidity, security valuations, net flows? And from a TA perspective, you know, how were those issues uh, affecting the operation? So were the shareholder volumes stressing the system? Are you able to meet daily redemptions? Were were the uh, the timeliness of the nightly NAVs uh, meeting expectations? Um, Should the advisor review their line of credits? We had those sort of questions for the advisor. And then lastly, you know, we just asked to be kept informed, you know, in a timely manner specifically around if the service uh, provider's business continuity or disaster recovery plans uh, allowed them to fulfill their obligations to the fund. So that was kind of that thousand-foot view.
1: Great. Um, So going back to Kathy for a second, so you talked about kind of that you were in the midst of kind of thinking about testing these things, trying to test these things, and all of a sudden this hits. So, you know, from those early days, you know, what did you learn that, you know, could help you should the virus, you know, reemerge in the fall or spring um, that would make that pivot a little faster?
2: Yeah, I think that's a great question, Jeff. One of the things I think we've learned, a couple of things. First of all, our staff is very flexible and adaptive and probably more technologically savvy than um, I would have been, you know, 20, 30 years ago when I was doing their job. But being prepared, right? So... I, I was really proud of the fact that my leaders have been thinking about things like this, even in the absence of thinking about a pandemic. But but how do we continually evolve the way our staff does their job? How do we make sure that they're equipped in all of these situations? So, you know, additional preparation was important. I think the other learnings that we had were that when you have a large staff and you suddenly aren't seeing them every day, you've got to, You've got to lead differently. You've got to stay connected differently. Kim talked a little bit about the tools, right? We had recently rolled out some new technology tools in our organization that people were just getting used to. And one of the things that I think has been the most exciting for us is that um, rather than kind of a gradual people getting used to the tools, they were forced to have to use them right away. And we've seen immediate um, efficiency and that our, our meetings, our staff getting their job done has become much more effective very quickly because we had to use those tools. So my team and I talk on a regular basis about how we could possibly be even more well-connected now that we don't um, go to the office every day because we, we look at each other's faces on video quite um, quite a few times during the day, and we... We can see each other better than you can in a room full of people, and and we're focused on each other. And so I really think that this has been a great opportunity for us to use tools that we probably would have gotten around to using, but we've used them much more quickly now because we had to use them.
1: Without revealing any confidential aspects, for each of you, what is the one thing you felt could have gone better? And and Kim, keep going.
3: Sure. Sure. So what I, what I saw from this is that, as I mentioned earlier, we had the hardware and collaboration tools in place given the nature of our business and that a lot of our employees travel a lot. But what I would say that we learned from this is how everyone was experiencing this differently with Zoom conferencing and video conferencing. You're, you're in people's homes in a way that you haven't been previously. And so what we learned throughout is is really how the impact of our employees that were living alone or have had kids or um, you know maybe not internet capabilities so a lot of it on the KPMG side was in place but I think learning everyone's individual circumstances um, was something that um, in the end it, it did work out but I think it took some time to get familiar with everyone's personal situations um, so while we had it in place on our end, you know, making sure that it worked for them personally as well, um, so I would say that was probably the biggest learning um, out of this that I experienced.
1: Okay, Kathy, your your thoughts on the same question?
2: Yeah, you know what, I, I I kind of have two perspectives on that. One to piggyback off what Kim said, I think that we've learned as leaders that we almost have to over exaggerate our leadership when we're leading in this environment, right? So where you get used to seeing your staff and kind of knowing what's going on with them. Now you you don't know what's going on in their life, in their homes, and everybody's been in a little different situation. So communicating more frequently, communicating differently, checking in with them, maybe checking on some things that you might not have had to check on before, but, you know, worrying about their overall well-being. So we keep saying that we have to exaggerate all of the the kind of the ritual leadership things that we've always done, but we think it's really important to stay connected. And the other um, thing that I think we really learned a lot about during this last, especially the last couple of months, is that um, although we've talked a lot about what you do with existing staff, we've been recruiting, hiring, and onboarding new staff during this time too. And so um, we've been fortunate in that, you know, we have the tools and technology in place to recruit, to do interviewing, to hire. We learned some lessons about what happens when you extended an offer and now you're waiting for background checks and things like that to happen. And in many states, those, those agencies that help with background checks are closed down or those things slow down. We've learned some lessons about, you know, deploying technology to someone who gets to show up on the doorstep and pick up their equipment or that we mail it to them. And then the other thing I think we've really learned is that we have people on our staff now who've never spent even one day in our office, so they don't know what our culture is like. They don't even know what it's like to have a desk in our facility, and they're working and doing our job. And so you have to spend more time with them. You have to you know, teach some of these people what it's like to work as part of a bigger organization. And although you can, through um, the use of technology, you can teach practical skills, you can teach Content, things like that, kind of giving people a taste for what it's like to be part of your company is is more difficult in this world. not impossible, but it's more difficult. and so if you haven't already experienced some of that, I think it's something that to really keep in mind.
1: yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean we I don't think have had at least in our in our part um, new people since you know we kind of sent people home, but we had a, a whole new group of people starting. Uh, literally a week before we sent everybody home. And so getting them all those things you touched on about equipment and orientation and all those things had to be done really quick. And the other thing we ended up doing is we had to have a few people come in and do fingerprinting. And the funnest part was watching people do the fingerprinting themselves because, you know, nobody could be near them as they did it. So that was an even more amusing one. Before we leave the kind of lessons learned, Fred, any comment, you know, from, from your side on this?
4: Yeah, I guess mine will be a little short, uh, just given you know the perspective I'm bringing to it. But you know, Sy- symmetry has done a great job of keeping the border prize. I think maybe just um, in talking with you know many of my friends and associates that are in the business and some of the issues they had, I think I think some of the the surprises that came up and that need to be addressed are probably a lot of the peripheral things that need to be considered. So. You know, and and Kathy uh, touched on, on some of these, but, you know, kids being at home when schools and daycare aren't open, caring for family members, coping with stress and uncertainty, and even things like, you know, incorporating healthcare experts into the disaster recovery plans, like the same way we would do with regulatory authorities and things like that. You know, those are all things that, even in the best disaster recovery and business continuity plans, I don't think were contemplated. And probably will need to be in whatever the new normal ends up being.
1: No, I think that I think that's right. Um, so sticking with that a minute. So you know, as we think about uh, the next phase, which is some sort of reopening, uh, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, is the board start? As you, are you guys starting to ask? you know the service providers instead of the questions about did you shift and are you maintaining service quality and all that stuff are you starting to ask them about you know what are they thinking in terms of re you know bringing people back or or is that you know maybe on the agenda for the next meeting
4: well you know i think i, I, I think we're still in the mode of where we will continue to require assurances from the management and by the way our cco that the fund service providers are executing you know, the contractual obligations, you know, that there are no significant operational issues, no increase in either liability or risk, and, you know, quite frankly, at the end of the day, that the shareholders are receiving the same level of service they were before the pandemic hit, right? So we're still in a phase where we want to make sure, particularly if there's going to be another wave of this, that we can continue going as well as as it's gone. Um, You know, we so from that perspective, we would expect, Management to be aware if any of the service providers' op centers had any employees who were contracted to the virus. You know, if you're going back, whether that resulted in any of the operations being quarantined. Um, and if so, what effect would that have on service delivery? And if anything significant, that would be notified. But, again, it's gone smoothly so far, probably more, more smoothly than we would have thought. Uh, and you can tell that, you know, in general just from the other people's comments that that's the case. I think going forward, um, you know, and it's probably more important than what we just talked about, we're interested in what are the permanent and long-term changes that COVID will have on the industry. As you think about what are
1: these things that now take on a greater urgency that everybody's talked about doing, and, and now you look out and say, okay, you know, let's let's do these things. What are a couple of those things that the industry ought to do? to evolve with with all the challenges and all the changes.
2: Here's one of them, right? I think that I was in a meeting this week and we were talking about, you know, servicing our customers in this world, right? And so what, why do people call us? We still have clients that call us because they have to, because we have yet to solve for some of those things that they could do on their own. So I think rolling out more self-service functionality, trying to keep up with maybe not, um, others in the exact same space, but other ex- customer experiences that, that, that they get from other places. I think that's one idea. I think that, you know, we're still holding on to some transfer agent rules that maybe we, we have to think about. Maybe medallion signature guarantees is an example or, you know, in a situation like we've been in. I'm sure that there are others out there who have had people come and say, I can't get that today. I can't do that the way you've always wanted me to do that. So let's finally update some of those procedures and try to be a little bit more progressive with some of that. Those are just a couple of simple things. But again, I think the other thing is we've talked about some of these like smaller technology changes. And now I'm not an IT person, right? And so I always think everything's as easy as flipping a switch. And um, it should be that easy, but... We can move more quickly on some of this stuff. I think it's not only expected, but it's time for us to do it.
1: No, I couldn't agree more. It's funny you mentioned the the medallion stamps because, you know, at the very outset of, of things beginning to shut down, I know of intermediary firms that were coming to the fund families and saying, you know, you guys still require this, and there's no way our customers can get them. Can we get – you know, some sort of, of waiver or temporary pass or something like that, and and I know some of our clients went down that path, and I, I agree with you. I think that's a really, really old, outdated, difficult way in a technology age to, to validate something. There's got to be better ways to do some of this. Um, Kim you know, kind of you see transfer agents from the auto perspective, you see it from the stock 1 perspective. I mean, what do you think uh, are things that that industry needs to do to evolve over, over the coming years?
3: Yeah, with the increased volumes we've all talked about with the recent market volatility and fee compression and regulations, a focus on Digitizing is absolutely key and and focusing on the end-to-end client experience. So I think improving investor portals and mobile apps um, will be key just to um, focus again on the customer and the high volume. Some of the things uh, that that Kathy mentioned, um, we're going to likely have a more distributed workforce. So I think it will be Important to focus on any operational risks that that could bring, um, but again, more focusing on a, a less manual, more uh, digital environment, more real-time processing, um, and then working on cross-border services. I think will be very important to support the various uh, jurisdictions.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's right. Fred, any comments from you on on this topic?
4: Uh, You know, I I think a real quick one, right? I think what we need to make sure, particularly from an operational perspective, is once it gets back to normal is that, you know, I think there's two things that we have to focus on. First is the operational playbooks will need to be overhauled. So we'll have to go back and look at training programs, employer orientation, code of conduct, management training. All of those are going to have to be rethought, rethought to support, you know, a vastly spread out and remote workforce. I think uh, the second thing is, and in, 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 in Kathy touched on it and Kim touched on it, right, the company is going to need to leverage technology that better enables the remote in multiple locations from a communication standpoint. So all the communication vehicles like skip levels, all-hand meetings, town halls, even staff meetings, they're going to have to become more efficient and crisp and you've got to make sure that, you know, there's consistent messaging uh, happening throughout the organization. So I think those two things we're going to need to go back and look at and don't take for granted because, you know, quite frankly, we've done pretty well getting through this pandemic.
0: You've been listening to Nixa Talk. NIXA is a trade association in support of professionals within the global financial community. Come back often and feel free to add our podcast to your favorite RSS feed or follow us on Twitter at Nixon News. For information on how your firm can become a NIXA member, please visit NIXA.org and view our membership page. For over 50 years, NIXA has been connecting global asset management participants to discuss and develop industry best practices. Join the conversation today.